Hi there! Welcome to episode 6 of the second season of Stories That Made Us. This week, we continue with and conclude the tale we began in the previous episode. That is, we speak of the heroics and antics of the great Algonquian hero Nanabuzu. Check out episode 6 if you haven't already to follow along with this episode. But just to recap, Nanabuzu, the trickster and mischief maker lived with his grandmother Noko, for he didn't know who his parents were. After pestering old Noko, she finally told the young hero of his lineage, claiming him to be the son of Ningabiun, the West Spirit. Nanabuzo, upon hearing this, goes in search of his father and soon realizes that of his siblings, East, North and South, he was given the least powers. After a duel with his father, thereby proving his worth, Nanabuzo is bestowed with the role of protector and guide for mankind, a role he takes on cheerfully and willingly. As his first act, the young hero decides to take on Pearl Feather. For not only did Pearl Feather cause much trouble for humanity, but alas, he was also responsible for the death of Nanabuzo's grandfather. Having bested Pearl Feather after a long fight, Nanabuzo decided to turn his attention towards the seas and oceans. He decided to tame the wild waters and all that lived within it. The story this week continues from here onwards, and a written copy can be found in the book titled The Indian Fairy Book from the Original Legends by Henry Schoolcraft. Details of the book are in the show notes. So then, let's continue with our tale for the week. The great hero Nanabuzo tried his prowess as a fisherman, and with such success that he captured a fish monstrous in size and so rich in fat that with the oil, Nanabuzo was able to form a small lake. To this, being generously disposed and having a cunning purpose of his own to answer, he invited all the birds and beasts of his acquaintance and he told them all to partake of the banquet of the fish. As fast as the animals arrived, he told them to plunge in and help themselves. The first to make his appearance was the bear, who took a long and steady draught. Then came the deer, the possum, and such others of the family as are noted for their comfortable case. The moose and bisons were slack in their cups, and the partridge, always lean in flesh, looked on till the supply was nearly gone. There was not a drop left by the time the hare and the marten appeared on the shore of the lake, and they are, in consequence, the slenderest of all creatures. When the ceremony was over, Nanabuzu suggested to his friends, the assembled birds and animals that the occasion was proper for a little merrymaking. 
and taking up his drum, he cried out, New songs from the south! Come brothers, dance! For I have new songs from the south! In order to make the sport more mirthful, he directed that they should shut their eyes and pass around him in a circle. Again, he beat his drum and cried out, New songs from the south! Come brothers, dance! All the animals fell in and commenced their rounds. Whenever Nana Bazo, as he stood in the circle, saw pass by him a fat fowl which he fancied, he adroitly wrung its neck and slipped it in his girdle, and at the same time beating his drum and singing at the top of his lungs to drown out the noise of the fluttering. And he, all the time, called out in tones of admiration, That's the way, my brothers, that's the way. At last, a small duck of the diver family, thinking there was something wrong, opened one eye and saw what Nanabuzo was doing. Aha! Nanabuzo is killing us! He cried, giving a spring and making for the water. Nanabuzo, quite vexed that the creature should have played the spy upon his housekeeping, followed him. And just as the duck was diving into the water, he gave him a kick, which is the reason that the diver's tail feathers are few. His back flattened and his legs straightened out, so that when the duck gets on land, he makes a poor figure in walking. Meantime, the other birds, having no ambition to be thrust in Nanabuzo's girdle, flew off and the animals scampered into the woods. Nanabuzo, stretching himself at ease in the shade along the side of the prairie, thought what he should do next. He concluded that he would travel and see the new countries, and having once made up his mind, such was his length of limb and the immensity of his stride that in less than three days he had walked over the entire continent and looked into every lodge by the way, and with such nicety of observation that he was able to inform his good old grandmother what each family had for dinner at a given hour. By the way of relief to these grand doings, Nanabuzu was disposed to vary his experiences by bestowing a little time upon the sports of the woods. He had heard reported great feats in hunting, and he had a desire to try his power in that way. Besides that, it was a slight consideration that he had devoured all the game within the reach of the lodge. And so, one evening, while walking along the shore of the great lake, weary and hungry, he was quite delighted to encounter a great magician in the form of an old wolf, with six young ones. The wolf no sooner got sight of Nanabuzu than he told his whelps, who were close about his side, to keep out of the way of the young hero. For I know, said the wolf, that it is that mischievous fellow whom we see yonder. 
The young wolves were in the act of running off when Nanabazu cried out, Children, little cubs, where are you going? Stop and I will go with you. I wish to have a little chat with your excellent father. Saying this, he advanced and greeted the old wolf, expressing himself pleased at seeing him doing so well. Where do you journey? He asked. We are looking for a good hunting ground to pass the winter, the old wolf answered. What brings you here? I was looking for you, said Nana Bazoo, for I too have developed a passion for the chase, brother. I have always admired your family. Are you willing to change me into a wolf? The wolf gave him a favorable answer, and Nanabuzu was forthwith changed into a wolf. Well, that'll do, said Nanabuzu. Then looking at his tail, he added, Oh, could you oblige me by making my tail just a little longer and more bushy, please? Certainly, said the old wolf and he gave Nanabuzu such a length and spread of his tail that it was constantly getting between his legs, and it was so heavy that it was as much as he could do to find strength to carry it. But having asked for it, he was ashamed to say a word, and they all started off in company, dashing up a ravine. After getting into the woods for some distance, they fell in with the tracks of a moose. The young one scampered off in pursuit, the old wolf and Nanabuzu following at their leisure. Well, said the old wolf by way of opening a talk, who do you think is the fastest of the boys? Can you tell by the jumps they take? Why? Nanabuzu replied. That one takes such long jumps, he has to be the fastest, to be sure. Haha, <laughs> you are mistaken, said the old wolf. He makes a good start, but he will also be the first to tire out. This one, who appears to be behind now, will be the one to kill the first game. By this time, they had come to the spot where the boys had started in chase. One had dropped what seemed to be a small medicine sack which he carried for the use of the hunting party. Take that pack, Nanabazoo, said the old wolf. Essa, Nanabazoo replied, what will I do with the dirty dogskin? The old wolf took it up and it was a beautiful robe. Oh, I will carry that robe now, cried Nanabazoo. Oh no, said the wolf, who had exerted his magical powers. It is a robe of pearls. This shall be mine. Come along now. And so sped away the old wolf at a great rate of speed. Not so fast, called Nanabazoo after him. And then he added to himself as he panted after. Coming to a place where the moose had laid down, he saw that the young wolves had made a fresh start after their prey. Why, 
said the old wolf. This moose is poor. I know by the tracks. In that way, I can always tell whether they are fat or not. A little farther on, one of the young wolves, in dashing at the moose, had broken a tooth on a tree. Nanabuzo, said the old wolf. One of the young cubs has shot at a game. Take his arrow. Here it is. No, replied Nanabuzu. What will I do with a dirty cub's tooth? The old wolf took the tooth up, and behold, it looked like a beautiful silver arrow. When they at last overtook them, they found that the youngsters had killed a very fat moose. Nanabuzu was exceedingly hungry, but the old wolf just then exerted his magical powers again, and Nanabuzu saw nothing but the bones picked quite clean. The hero then thought to himself, Just as I expected, dirty greedy fellows. If it had not been for this cursed tail, I should have been in time to have gotten a mouthful. And he cursed his bushy tail which he carried to the bottom of his heart. He however sat down without saying a word. At length, the old wolf spoke to one of the young ones, saying, Give some meat to Nanabuzu. One of them obeyed, and coming near to Nanabuzu, he presented him the other end of his own bushy tail, which was nicely seasoned with burrs gathered in the course of the hunt. Nanabuzu jumped up and called out, You dog, now that your stomach is full, do you think I'm going to eat you to get at my dinner? Get you gone into some other place. Saying which, Nanabuzu in his anger walked off by himself. Come back brother, cried the old wolf. You are losing your eyes. Nanabuzu turned back. You do the child injustice. Look here and behold. A heap of fresh ruddy meat lying on the spot, already prepared. Nanabuzu, at the view of so much good provision, put on a smiling face. Amazement, he said, how fine this meat is. Yes, replied the old wolf, it is always so with us. We know our work and always get the best. It is, after all, not a long tail that makes the hunter. The wolves now fixed their winter quarters. The youngsters went out in search of game, and they soon brought in a large supply. One day, during the absence of the young hunters, the old wolf amused himself in cracking the large bones of a moose. Nanabuzu, he cried, cover your head with the rope, and do not look at me while I am busy with these bones, for a piece might fly in your eye. Nanabuzu did as he was bid, but looking through a giant rent in the rope, he saw what the other was about. Just at that moment, a piece flew off and hit him in the eye. He cried out, Tiao! Old wolf, 
Why do you strike me, you old dog? The wolf answered, You must have been looking at me. No, no, retorted Nanabazoo. Why should I want to look at you? Nanabazoo, said the old wolf, You must have been looking or you would not have got hurt. No, no, Nanabazoo replied again, I was not. But he thought to himself, I will repay the saucy wolf this mischief. So the next day, taking up a bone to obtain the marrow, he said to the wolf, Brother, cover your head and do not look at me, for I very much fear a piece might fly into your eye. The wolf did so, and Nanabuzo, taking the large leg bone of the moose, first looking to see if the wolf was well covered, hit him with a blow with all his might. The wolf jumped up, cried out and fell prostrate from the effects of the blow. Why? said he when he came to a little and was able to sit up. Why did you strike me so? Strike you? said Nanabuzo with a well-feigned surprise. No, you must have been looking at me. No, answered the wolf. I say I have not. But Nanabuzu insisted, and as the old wolf was no great master of tricky argument, he was obliged to give it up. Shortly after this, the old wolf suggested to Nanabuzu that he should go out and try his luck in hunting by himself. When he chose to put his mind upon it, Nanabuzu was quite expert and this time he succeeded in killing a fat moose, which he thought he could take aside slyly and devour alone. Having prepared to tell the old wolf a pretty story on his return to account for his failure to bring anything with him. He was hungry and he sat down to eat, but as he never could go to work in a straightforward way, Nanabuzu immediately fell into great doubts as to the proper point at which to begin. Well, said he, I do not know from where to commence. At the head? No, people will laugh and say, he ate him backward. He went to the side. No, he said, they will say I ate him sideways. Then he went to the hindquarter. No, I will not do that either, for people will say I ate him forward. I will begin here, say what they will. Nanabuzu then took a delicate piece from the back and was just on the point of putting it into his mouth when a tree close by made a creaking noise. He seemed vexed at the sound. He raised a morsel to his mouth the second time when the tree croaked again. Why? Nanabazu exclaimed. I cannot eat when I hear such a noise. Stop, stop, he said to the tree. He put the meat down, exclaiming, I cannot eat with such a noise. And starting away, he climbed the tree and was pulling at the limb which had offended him when his forepaw was caught between the branches so that he could not free himself.
While thus held in the tree, Nanabuzu saw a pack of wolves advancing through the wood in the direction of his meat. He suspected them to be the old wolf and his cubs. But night was coming on, and he could not make them out. Go the other way, he cried out. What would you come to get here? The wolves stopped for a while and talked among themselves. And then they said, Nanabuzo must have something here, or he would not tell us to go away. I begin to know him, said the old wolf, and all his tricks. Let us go forward and see. They came on, and finding the moose, they soon made way with it. Nanabuzu looked on wistfully to see them eat till they were fully satisfied, when they scampered off in high spirits. A heavy blast of wind then opened the branches and released Nanabuzu, who found that the wolves had left nothing but the bare bones. Dejected, Nanabuzu made way for home, where, when he related his mishap, the old wolf took him by the forepaw and condoled with him deeply on his ill luck. A tear even started on his eye as he said, My brother, this should teach us not to meddle with points of ceremony when we have good meat to eat. This must teach us to always share with our family before we feed ourselves. On a bright morning in the early spring, the winter having by this time drawn fairly to a close, the old wolf addressed Nanabuzo. My brother, I am obliged to leave you, and although I have sometimes been merry at your expense, I will show that I care for your comfort. I shall leave one of the boys behind me to be your hunter and to keep you company through the long summer afternoons. Saying this, the old wolf galloped off with five of his young ones, and as they disappeared from view, Nanabuzu was disenchanted for a moment and returned to his mortal shape. Although he had been sometimes vexed and imposed upon, he had altogether passed a pleasant winter with the cunning old wolf, and now that the wolf was gone, Nanabuzu was downcast and low in spirit. But as the days grew brighter, he recovered by degrees his air of cheerful confidence and was ready to try his hand upon any new adventure that might occur to him. The old spirit of mischief was still alive within him. The young wolf who had been left with him was a good hunter and never failed to keep the lodge well supplied with meat. One day, Nanabuzu addressed him as follows. My little cub, I had a dream last night and it does not portend good. It is off the large lake which lies in that direction. You must be careful always to go across it, whether the ice seems strong or not. Never go around it, for there are enemies on the further shore who lie in wait for you. 
the ice is always safe. Now Nanabuzu knew well that the ice was thinning every day under the warm sun, but he could not stay himself from playing a trick upon the young wolf. In the evening, when he came to the lake after a long day's travel in quest of game, the young wolf, confiding to his grandfather, said, The ice does look thin, but Nanabuzu says it is sound, and he trotted upon the glassy plain. The young wolf had not gotten even halfway across when the ice snapped, and with a mournful cry, he fell in and was immediately seized by the water serpents. They knew that the young wolf was Nanabuzu's cub and were thirsting for revenge upon him for the death of their relations in the war upon Pearl Feather. Nanabuzu heard the young wolf's cry as he sat in his lodge, and he knew what had happened, and from that moment he was deprived of the greater part of his magical power. Nanabuzu then returned as an ordinary mortal to his former place of dwelling, but found that his grandmother had gone to a place where nobody knew. There, Nanabuzu married the arrow maker's daughter, who he fancied, and became the father of several children, and was very poor. He was scarcely able to procure the means of living. His lodge was pitched in a remote part of the country where he could get no game. It was winter, and he had not the common comforts in life. Our hero then said to his wife one day, I will go out a-walking and see if I cannot find some better lodges. After walking some time, he saw a lodge at a distance. The children were playing at the door. When they saw him approaching, they ran in and told their parents that Nanabuzo was coming. Now this lodge was the residence of the large red-headed woodpecker. He came to the door and asked Nanabuzo to enter. This invitation was promptly accepted. After some time, the woodpecker, who was a magician, said to his wife, have you nothing to give Nanabuzu? He must be hungry. The wife answered, No. He ought not to go without his supper, said the woodpecker. I will see what I can do. Now in the center of the lodge stood a large tamarack tree. Upon this tree the woodpecker flew, and commenced going up and turning his head on each side of the tree, and every now and then driving in his bill. At last, he pulled something out of the tree and threw it down, when, behold, a fine fat raccoon lay on the ground. He drew out six or seven more. He then descended and told his wife to prepare them. Nanabuso, said he, this is the only thing we eat. What else can we give you? Oh, this is very good, replied Nanabuzu. And then they smoked their pipes and conversed with each other. After eating, 
Nanabuzu got ready to go home. Then the woodpecker said to his wife, Give him the other raccoons to take home for his children. In the act of leaving the lodge, Nanabuzu, on purpose, dropped one of his mittens, which was soon after observed upon the ground. Run, said the woodpecker to his eldest son, and give his mitten back to him. But mind that you do not give it unto his hand. Throw the mitten at him, for there is no knowing him. Nanabuzu acts so curiously. The boy did as was directed. Visitor, uncle, said the young woodpecker to Nanabuzu as he came upon him. You have left one of your mittens. Here it is. Yes, he said, affecting to be ignorant of the circumstance. It is so. But don't throw it. You will soil it on the snow. The lad, however, as instructed by his father, threw it and was about to return when Nanabuzu cried out. Stop! Stop! Is that all you eat? Do you eat nothing else with your raccoon? Tell me. Yes, that is all, answered the young woodpecker. We have nothing else. Tell your father then, continued Nanabuzu, to come and visit me and let him bring a sack. I will give him what he shall eat with his raccoon meat. When the young one returned and reported this message to his father, the old woodpecker turned up his nose at the invitation. I wonder, he said, what he thinks he has got. He was bound, however, to answer the proffer of hospitality, so he went accordingly to pay a visit to Nanabuzu, taking along a cedar sack. Nanabuzu received the old red-headed woodpecker with great ceremony. He had stood at the door awaiting his arrival. And as soon as he came in sight, Nanabuzu commenced, while he was yet far off, bowing and opening wide his arms in token of welcome, all of which the woodpecker returned in due form by ducking his bill and hopping to right and left upon the ground extending his wings to their full length and fluttering them back to his breast. When the woodpecker at last reached the lodge, Nanabuzo made various remarks upon the weather, the appearance of the country, and especially on the scarcity of game. But we, he added, always have enough. Come in, and you shall not go away hungry, my noble bird. Nanabuzo had always prided himself on being able to give as good as he had received. And to be up with the woodpecker, he had shifted his lodge to be in as close as possible to a large dry tamarack tree. What can I give you? He said to the woodpecker. But as we eat, so shall you. With this, Nanabuzo hopped forward and jumping on the tamarack tree, 
attempted to climb it just as he had seen the woodpecker do in his own lodge. He turned his head first on one side and then on the other, in the manner of the bird, meanwhile striving to go up and as often slipping down. Ever and ever he would strike at the tree with his nose, as if it had been a bill, and draw back, but he pulled out no raccoons, and he dashed his nose so often against the trunk that at last blood began to flow, and Nanabuzu tumbled down senseless upon the ground. The woodpecker started up with his drum and rattle, and by beating them violently, he succeeded in bringing Nanabuzu back to his senses. As soon as the hero came back to his senses, Nanabuzu began to lay the blame of his failure upon his wife, saying to his guest, My dear woodpecker, it is this woman. She is the cause of me not succeeding. She has made me into a worthless fellow. Before her, I could get so many raccoons, and now none at all. The woodpecker said nothing, but flying on the tree, he drew out several fine raccoons. Here, then said the bird, this is the way we do it, and left in disdain, carrying his bell high in the air, stepping over the door sill as if it were not worthy to be touched by his toes. After this visit, Nanabuzu was sitting in the lodge one day with his head down, when he heard the wind whistle around it, and thought that by attentively listening, he could hear the voice of someone speaking to him. The voice seemed to say to him, Great chief, why are you so sorrowful? Am I not your friend, your guardian spirit? Nanabuzu immediately took up his rattle, and without rising from the ground where he was sitting, he began to sing a ceremonious chant. When he had dwelt for a long time upon this peculiar chant, which he had been used to singing in all his times of trouble, he laid his rattle aside and determined to fast. For this purpose, he went to a cave which faced the setting sun, and built a very small fire, near which he lay down, first telling his wife that neither she nor the children must come near him until he had finished his fast. At the end of seven days, Nanabuzu came back to his lodge, pale and thin, looking like a spirit himself, and as if he had seen many ghostly spirits. His wife in the meantime dug through the snow and got a few roots of truffles. These she boiled and set before him, and this was all the food they had or seemed likely to obtain. When he had finished his light repast, Nanabuzu took up his station in the door to see what would happen. And as he stood thus, holding in his hand his large bow, with a quiver filled with arrows, a deer glided past along the far edge of the prairie. But it was miles away, and no shaft that Nanabuzu could shoot would be able to touch it. 
Then a cry came down the air, and looking up, he beheld a great flight of birds. But they were so far up in the sky that he would have lost his arrows in a vain attempt among the clouds. Still, he stood watchful and confident that some of his luck would turn. When came near the lodge two hunters, who bore between them, on poles, a bear that was so fine and so fat that it took the hunters all the strength to carry it. As the hunters came near the lodge door, one of them asked if Nanabazu lived thereabout. He is here, answered Nanabazu. I have often heard of you, said the first hunter, and I was curious to see you. But you have lost your magical power. Do you know whether any of it is left? Nanabazu answered that he was himself in the dark upon the subject. Suppose you make a trial, then said the hunter. What shall I do? asked Nanabazu. There is my friend, said the hunter, pointing to his companion who, with me, owns this bear which we are carrying home. Suppose you see if you can change him into a piece of rock. Very well, said Nanabazu, and he had scarcely spoken before the other hunter became a rock. Now change him back to his own self again, said the first hunter. That I can't do, answered Nanabazu. For there my power ends. The hunter looked at the rock with a bewildered face. What shall I do? he asked. This bear I can never carry alone. And it was agreed between my friend here and myself that we should not divide it till we reach home. Can't you change my friend back, Nanabazu? I would like to oblige you answered Nanabazu, but it is utterly out of my power. With this, looking again at the rock with a sad and bewildered face, and then casting a sorrowful glance at the bear which lay by the door of the lodge, the hunter took his leave, bewailing bitterly at the loss of his friend and his bear. He was scarcely out of sight when Nanabuzo sent the children to get red willow sticks. Of these, he cut off as many pieces of equal length as would serve to invite his friends among the beasts and the birds to a grand feast. A red stick was sent to each one, not forgetting the woodpecker and his family. When all the animals and birds arrived, they were astonished to see such an abundance of meat prepared for them at a time of such scarcity. Nanabazu understood their glance and was proud of a chance to make such a display. Akewazi, he said to the oldest of the party, the weather is very cold and the snow lasts a long time. We can kill nothing now but small squirrels, and they are all black. I have sent for you to help me eat some of them. 
The woodpecker was the first to try a mouthful of the bear's meat, but he had no sooner begun to taste it than it changed into a dry powder and set him coughing. It appeared as bitter as ashes. The moose was affected the same way, and it brought on such a dry cough as to shake every bone in its body. One by one, each of the animals in turn joined the company of the coffers, all except Nanabazu and his family, to whom the bear's meat proved very savoury. But the visitors had too high a sense of what was due to decorum and good manners to say anything. The meat looked very fine, and being keenly set and strongly tempted by its promising look, they thought they would try more of it. But the more they ate, the faster they coughed, and the louder became the uproar, until Nanabuzu, exerting the magical gift which he found he retained, changed them all into squirrels. And to this day, the squirrel settlers from the same dry cough which was brought upon by attempting to sup off of Nanabuzu's ashen bear's meat. And even after this transformation, when Nanabuzu lacked provisions for his family, he would often hunt the squirrel, a supply of which never failed him, so that he was always sure to have a number of his friends present, in this shape, at the banquet. The rock into which he had changed the hunter, thus ever becoming possessed of the bear and laying the foundations of his good fortune, ever after remained by his lodge door, and it was called the game bag of Nana Bazo, the mischief maker. That concludes this episode. Hope you enjoyed both this and the previous week's tale of the great Algonquian hero Nanabazu. Please do spread the podcast among friends and families if you liked what you heard. I'd really appreciate you taking some time out to leave a rating and a feedback. It helps us out immensely and takes no longer than a few seconds. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram by using the handle at stories tht. M-D-E-U-S That's at stories T-H-T M-D-E-U-S Or email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com for any comments, observations or just to say hello. I will see you again next week with another tale of the great heroines and heroes of mankind. Until then, goodbye.